the constant need to move feels good. It feels me. But I also find the most amount of clarity when I can just sit and be. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. Before we get started today, we wanted to thank everyone who has supported the competitive mindset. As we continue to grow, we wanted to ask one favor. If you haven't yet rated or reviewed the podcast, please do so on your podcast platform and help us continue to grow the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Abby Green is the co-host of the Herself Podcast. She has been in a competitive sales role for over 13 years. She is an Ironman triathlete and has run over a dozen marathons. So Abby, can you take me through your journey through life and how it's led you to where you are right now? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you and so much for having me be on the podcast right now. So I grew up and was born in North Dakota. So there was literally nobody around. Um, it was just my family. We learned a lot, a, lot, a lot about each other during those years. And we moved to Wisconsin when I was four. When we moved, it was just my mom and I. So the reason I bring this up is because it was hard. Like it was just my mom and I, I learned so much from my mom, like how, how a woman ticks what, what to expect out of parenting. I learned that like my dad and my brother were still back in North Dakota and we would see them every once in a while. And those were really, really joyous weekends. And as I spent time with my mom, I started learning the things that like she loved like, what were the things that she loved? What were the things that helped her become the woman that she was? So I got into the things that she was passionate about. I started doing dance. I started going for long walks. We did a lot of swimming and it wasn't until probably like fifth grade that I started learning. What does Abby want? Like, what do I actually like? What makes me feel like me? And that's when I got into other things like gymnastics, for instance. And that's really when the competitive edge started to come into play because I wasn't a good swimmer. Like I wasn't great at dancing. Do I like it? Sure. Am I good at it? Definitely not. But that led into middle school and trying different things into high school and into my sales job. So it really followed its way into the things that I was good at and figuring out how can I be competitive in my own way that way. So you just mentioned being competitive in your own way. Can you tell me about a signature competition from your childhood that is a moment that sticks with you? Yeah. And when you bring this up, I would have to say cross country running. So the reason I bring this up is because I broke my arm I broke my arm a lot. So I broke my arm when I was really little and then I broke my arm again in middle school. But at that point, I was a pretty serious gymnast and I was at a gymnastics camp. I'd saved up for years to go to this gymnastics camp and day two, I broke my arm. Well, you can't really do a whole lot as a gymnast with a broken arm. So I joined the cross country team when I went into high school and it was something that I had never done before. I really wasn't a runner. Running was something that you did when you got to practice late or if you said swear words, like it was something that was almost (laughs) a punishment in the other sports that I was doing. The first year I wasn't good. Like with cross country, I wasn't good. I plainly was not a good runner. And I'm the type of person that if I'm not good at something, I usually quit. 
but because it was the only thing that I could do because I wasn't able to play basketball with a broken arm, I couldn't even really do soccer because they're afraid of having me fall. I stuck with it. And after a while, I mean, it took over a year, I actually became pretty good at it and it stuck with me for a while. And I, it was at that point where I started to compete with myself and compete with other people, figure out what can I do to make myself even better at this sport. Um, I would read articles on the sport. I tweaked my diet to help with the sport. Um, I would run in my off, off time with people who enjoyed the sport. So that made it really fun thinking about the cross country running. So you said in there, you saved up to go to camp. Can you walk me through your mindset as a kid and what you were doing in order to save to go to this camp and why that was so important to you and the motivation with it? So we grew up very poor. So one of the big reasons that only my mom and I could move to North Dakota was because we had, we had like no money. I mean, we were making less than $6,000 a year as a full family of four. My dad was a farmer. So some years he made money, some years he didn't. My mom would drive like miles and miles and miles to get to her job as an editor of a newspaper, but that was really the only money that we were pulling in. So besides WIC and food stamps, like we were running really, really low. And I mean, that brings up competition as well, because my parents from a very young age taught us like the value of a dollar and that a dollar is used to save and to spend only on things that are absolutely necessary. Like that is what money meant to me for a long time. That's still what money means to me. And when I think about my brother and I, we would constantly be like, oh, how much money do you have in your piggy bank? And we would like dump it out and count. I have $22. He'd be like, I have $24. I'm like, how do you have more money than I? You're two years younger than me. We would do the same thing in high school with looking at our actual bank accounts and being like, hey, like his paper boy route and um, my babysitting dollars, like how much money can we actually save? And so that was like a really big part of our childhood. And it brings in a ton of the money mindsets around scarcity, the money mindsets around like, what do I want to spend my money on? How I hold on to money that still follow me in adulthood. You and I are very similar in that. I chuckled <laughs> because I would count my piggy bank continuously in the same sort of fashion of like competing to always try to want to have more. And, and I can definitely resonate and appreciate that. So, you know, as you progress then, can you talk to me a little bit about how has your mindset in regards to competition changed since your childhood? So where when I was a child, I was really competing against other people quite often. So in track, I was competing against who I could run faster next to. I was competing against my brother when it came to the money mindset. I would um, compete against, <clears throat> I was in race walking as well. So that's a kind of a funny little note here. I was a <laughs> junior Olympics race walker, which is funny because like, that's actually like a pretty top tier in race walking, but no one does race walking. So it's like, <laughs> is that even a cool thing to bring up? But because there wasn't race walkers like right nearby, I would be constantly comparing my stats against the nation or against people in other countries where it was a lot more popular of a sport. And now, especially since becoming a parent, I definitely compare myself to myself. So I compare how are my stats different than they were before kids? Like, can I get back there? How are my stats different between babies? How are my stats, like how can I continue to improve them based on how I feel, based on what I want out of it? So where I was looking to the outside world quite a bit in childhood, I'm now really looking internally. So can you tell me about the, the perception of parenting and what it was prior to becoming a parent and how it has changed since then? Oh, this is like such a funny question because when I think about parenting, I think about like being a babysitter 
<laughs> like that was my like big cue is I was a babysitter for so many years. So I thought that I'd be a really good parent because I could take care of other people's kids really well. We could go swimming, we could go to the park, we could ride bikes. Like it was a lot of fun, but being a parent means that it's not just from eight to five, it's 24 seven. Like you're always on as a parent. And I think that's the hard part is that not getting that break. So with babysitting and growing up, I babysat often. I was a nanny for several, several years. You get that break, you get that time away and you don't really quite get that <laughs> as an actual parent. I also didn't really know about like the younger years. So when I think about parenting and my memories with from childhood, it's really from like age four or five on. And my youngest right now isn't even five years old. So all the memories that I have are about camping and from getting ready for school dances, sports. It's all the things that were like my parents could help me out with, but none of it entailed the things that I couldn't remember. So this is all like new territory for me. Like everything that I've been dealing with as a parent and going through as a parent, the challenges, the struggles, the fun stuff, the exciting stuff. It's all just like new territory for me. It's so interesting that you bring that up because I often think with my daughter who's four, this is a really cool experience for her. And then you realize there is very little chance she's actually going to remember this. <laughs> so it's, it's more so for me and my ability to share that, have that memory, and then later be able to share it. And especially with technology now and video and photos, it's so much easier to do than it was back then. But it's, it's definitely fun to uh, think about. Yeah, they have no clue. They're just worried about moment by moment. And that's so refreshing to think about too. Well, isn't it refreshing? It makes, it kind of gives us like not a, a pass, but we put so much pressure on ourselves to be like, we want them to have the best childhood. And we want to make sure they remember this moment and putting so much time, effort, and energy into these little things when in reality, I mean, they won't, they won't remember every bit of it. Will they remember that you're there as a parent? Yeah. Will they remember that they had a lot of fun? Yeah. But they won't, won't remember all the tiny little details that we put so much pressure on ourselves as parents to consider. Oh, no, absolutely. And it will be so odd, the things that they do remember, because there's certain things that I bring up to my parents that I remember from my childhood. And they're like, what, how and why do you remember that? And I was like, I don't know, but that sticks out to me. And it was a moment in time where they were not trying to make a lasting impression or a memory for us, but it's something that happened and occurred naturally through life. So now I want to talk to you and continue with the competitive side. How do you feed your competitive hunger as a parent? with the time or lack thereof that you have? <laughs> I think every parent can relate to that lack thereof of having just not enough time in the day. When I think about this, I think about the fact that I love to learn. So I love to learn. And you can do that as a parent through taking courses. You can listen to podcasts. You can read books about parenthood. I know before we had Lucy, who is now almost five years old, I read so many books. Like I read every parenting book that somebody had recommended to me. I read every parenting book that I found on Pinterest or on Instagram. And I just like filled my mind with information. Like how can I be better with my patients? How can I help to promote better positive behavior change? What can I do to help my baby sleep better? Like things to really help me as a parent become more confident, but also to help my kids grow up to be better adults and to be able to do that with their children and the people that surround them as well. So not exactly competitive, I guess, but it's a way to like feed that learning side and to make sure that I'm doing the best that I possibly can in this role. Well, the competitive side, I would say is feeling of accomplishment and learning and growing is accomplishment. And those things, oftentimes we separate, but they are synonymous with each other. And we don't necessarily equate education 
with competition and it should be because you know you can compete to get from a 2.5 gpa gpa to a 2.6 gpa or what you know compete to get into a certain college if you want to and competition is around us in all aspects of life it's not just in the traditional sports setting that people necessarily equate it with and especially since i compete against myself so much right now it's always like that sense of accomplishment will change in different seasons because it just looks different your output your ability to create your ability to to actually do things just looks different in different seasons. So I like that you bring that part up. Now I'm gonna walk you into my next question. So when you're competing, and again, it can be in being a lifelong learner, like you just mentioned, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? Oh, fear of losing 100%. <laughs> and it's also why I don't gamble. Like I'm not a good gambler because I don't want to lose. Like I don't want to lose money. It hurts way more to lose money gambling than it does to win money. But when I think about this, I think about like my sales job. So like in my sales job, I like the chase more than actually getting that contract in. I sometimes when I get a contract, it's like an immediate, immediate click to start hunting again, to hunting for that next sale. So it's like that journey. I really like the journey and getting there. And then the actual winning is like, okay, this is cool. And then I'm on to the next bit of it. And I'm working on this. Like, I want to just be able to sit and bask in the glory of winning because it's awesome. Like we, it's a sense of accomplishment. Like we did something we achieved something, but usually I'm kind of on the chase to get to the next, get to the next thing. You, that's something, you know, that we often find is that, okay, we've, we've done this and accomplish it. It's done. So let's move on to the next thing, whether it's a competition, right? We're done with the race. What do I have to do to prepare for the next race and slowing down, being mindful, whether it's meditation and utilizing that or using physical or auditory cues, which can help you. Right. So like putting in your mind, let's just say it's an actual contract that you're signing. When you sign that contract, right, that needs to create a cue. Okay. The next thing I do is I take three minutes to think about this process, right? And, and something like that. It can be simple, something as simple as wearing a rubber band on your wrist and after you close a sale, snapping it. And that's the cue to like, okay, I need to take a pause here, right? Rather than continuing to move on to the next thing, because otherwise we get into the hamster wheel and we just keep going and going and going and going. And then we never stop. And then eventually we get thrown off. Yeah. And James Clare speaks so well about that in Atomic Habits, where it's like the cue and then you go into the action and then you get the reward. And it's it is, it's a habit. Like if you just move on right away, it's easier for you to continue moving on. Um, I will say that when I do like sink into the joy of winning, it feels a lot better. But if I'm being honest, what drives me that fear of losing definitely is it. Do you think that it's more prevalent when there's a lack of confidence? I think there's definitely some truth to that. When you are super confident in something, when you know the steps to get there, like it can be easier just to sink into the joy of it. But if there's like a little bit of nervousness or if it's something that you haven't done before, yeah, you could definitely fear losing quite a bit more. All right, let's move into the parenting world. Can you talk to me about the definition of success and how it's changed with you since becoming a parent? It's definitely much more qualitative. So I am a numbers person by trade. I like seeing stats. I like knowing where I am. So it's hard for me because numbers can't really measure the success in most parts of parenting. Like there's not a number 
besides like milestones, like, oh, my kid walked by a certain number of months, but that's not on you. Like that's on you and that individual child and working with that child. And sometimes a kid might just want to sit for a long time and that's definitely okay. <laughs> so for someone who is so numbers driven, it can be really hard because I don't have that measuring tool for how well I'm doing. So sometimes I just have to sink into the moment and be like, hey, does this feel good? Like, does this feel good? Am I doing my role to the best of my ability? Is my heart full? Are my kids happy? Am I feeling joy in this? And that's when I know that I'm doing well. It's when I finally get quiet and truly just be that I know if I'm actually winning at the parenting journey. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I very much similar to you in that aspect. And I've finally gotten to a point where I'm just like, did this child stay alive today? And are they happy and healthy? <laughs> that's a win. Let's move on. <laughs> And I think that as people have more kids as well, it's like with our first child, I was so Lucy, she's the one who's almost five. I was so focused on her milestones. Like, is she sitting when she's supposed to? Is she crawling when she's supposed to? When do I bring in solid food? What am I supposed to be doing here? And with our second, I kind of had to wave the white flag and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. There's too much going on. These kids came really close together, less than two years apart. And now that we have three and our third has special needs. So our third was born with Down syndrome and milestones are just like they're off the table for me now. Like it's, it's almost been nice to be able to sink into that part of it because I don't have anything to compare him to. Like with our Owen, who is our youngest, there isn't a chart of, oh, his big brother Micah or his big brother Lucy did this by this date. He doesn't have that chart. He doesn't have to follow in those footsteps. He's on his own little growth curve. And I wish I would have done that with all of our kids because every one of our kids is different. They learn different. They'll act different in their own time. Um, and it really took me three kids and a special needs diagnosis to truly figure that out. Yeah, we're always competing and comparing. And that's just kind of in our nature to want more and be more all the time. And then finally coming to the understanding that each individual person is going to have their own outcome at the level that they're going to have it. And we can't steal that from them by trying to force them into it. You know, like we always joke about like, tying their right hand behind their back and forcing them to eat with their left hand. So they're left-handed and, you know, <laughs> you, you hear those kinds of things. It's like, well, you're, you're stealing their opportunity to just learn and grow naturally, which is so crucial and fun to watch at such a young age too, because when they discover things, they learn, you know, fairly quickly, you know, as they go through things. And so that's, you don't want to take that away from them by trying to necessarily push or be pushy. Definitely. So well said. So can you tell me about your biggest frustration you have as a parent? Oh boy. Uh, when kids do things that don't make sense, <laughs> like for having a four-year-old, a three-year-old and like a six-month-old right now, like our three-year-old, when he just won't take a nap, I'm like, Micah, you're, you're so tired. All you have to do is lay down. When you just lay down, you'll feel better. Like that's all you have to do. Or Lucy, our almost five-year-old, when she wants to wear like fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy footy pajamas with Santa all over them in the middle of summer. I'm like, no, you're going to, you're going to be hot. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night and be soaking wet with sweat. She's like, no, I won't. No, I won't. And sure enough, 20 minutes in, <laughs> she'll wake up being so uncomfortable. And you want to say, I told you so, but it's also like, they're trying to be expressive. They're trying to learn in their own way. They're trying to have that freedom to be who they are. And I want them to be able to represent themselves. It's, it's beautiful for them to be able to represent themselves, but it also can be so frustrating at the exact same time. Well, let's flip that on its head. Now, what's your proudest moment as a parent? Oh, I don't know if I could pick just one. 
Like, I don't know well, if that's I a cop out one. answer. Oh, okay. that's like Let's saying I don't have a favorite child. Yes, you do. And I'm my parents' favorite <laughs> child. <laughs> oh, I for sure am my parents' favorite child. Child, Sorry, Eli. I get really proud when our kids learn something new that I had a direct effect on. Like when I directly was like part of them learning something new and learning is like a big part of my value. Like I have brought that up several times that learning is a big part that I find value and it's one of my core values. And so when they're able to learn something, like when Lucy learned to write her name, I remember that so well being like, I helped her with that. I helped her with that L and that a U and a C look a lot alike, but they're just flipped on the side. And when she gets so frustrated with it and we're able to talk it through and seeing her be like, okay, this was frustrating. I made a mistake. I learned from it and now I can do it. Like having those steps all in a row, they feel really, really good as a parent. Same thing with Micah when he like learned to throw a ball. And I think he is left-handed actually. So you bring up the left-handed thing. Um, <laughs> we're a little bit more proud that he's left-handed than anything because it's better with sports. And I just think it's cool when people are left-handed, but seeing him like learn to like grab the ball and pull it all the way through with his arm, like seeing those little things. And I'm not somebody who's like great at sports, especially like sports that involve like bats or balls or anything like that. So seeing him learn that was just like a huge, I just felt so proud of him. So, so let's transition a little bit and, and move more into the professional world. And can you talk to me and, and maybe you can answer this question in, in a personal light, if you like as well, it's your choice, but who is a mentor that you have and a lesson that you use from them on a regular basis? So my life and business coach, her name is Leah Rowe, and she didn't originally coin this term, but she recited this at like the perfect moment in the perfect season that I was in. And she said, Abby, you are a human being, not a human doing. And for somebody who is so competitive, I feel the need to like go and do and achieve, but really like the sitting and the enjoying, like the part that should be quote unquote easy that's a lot harder for me. Like, it's a lot harder for me. I feel like the, the constant need to move feels good. It feels me, but I also find the most amount of clarity when I can just sit and be, and like, listen to my own thoughts. They might be whispers, but they get louder and louder. And that's when I like find my creativity and can really like go forward with it. So Leah Rowe, definitely one of my mentors. Can you give us some tips or tricks that you use to be more of a human being rather than a human doing? Yeah. And I also learned a lot about this from my podcast partner, Amy Kiefer. So we have the herself podcast and she's so good at this piece of it. So sometimes I'll just like copy the things that she's doing and be like, Oh, if Amy goes for a long walk at lunch, I should go for a long walk at lunch. And that one does work. But if Amy does yoga, Oh, I should just do yoga. And I find that like, as much as I do yoga, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Does it help me be in the moment? Yeah. But I can't live someone else's life. So that's another big part of all this is I think that so many of us look at somebody else, whether it's a friend or a sister or somebody you follow on social media, and you're like, if I just copy what they're doing, then I'll feel good. And it's not, it doesn't work that way. Like it simply doesn't work that way. So where Amy might like yoga and feeling good in that moment, I have found that meditating, even though I'm still not great at it, I like it. I enjoy it and I'm getting better at it. So every morning I wake up very, very early. And the first thing that I do, it was one of my new year's resolutions to say, Abby, the first thing you do every morning has to be something for yourself. Does it happen every morning? No, but it happens most mornings. And I'll sit and do a 10 minute meditation. I can even do it right in bed if I don't want to get out of bed. And that really helps me just like sink into my thoughts, 
be in the moment, not have anything else pulling at my way or pulling at my sleeves, pulling in, in any direction and just truly be. Awesome. And you, you mentioned there, you know, not being somebody else or, or following someone else's destiny there. And I think of someone who I follow, a retired basketball coach, now a public speaker, his name's Kevin Eastman. And years ago at a basketball clinic, he talked about the three F's, find it, follow it, and fit it to yourself. Because you can find it and follow it. But if it's someone else, it is meeting their needs. So you have to fit it to your own needs. And I think that's such an important piece to that is we aren't puzzle pieces that we could just plug and play, you know, in other people's spots. We are unique in our jagged edges and we have to find our own groove. Yes, exactly. And it takes practice, right? And it takes a lot of like learning and failing and being like, that doesn't work for me. It works for her or him. And that's great. But how does it work into my own life? Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to me about some of your upcoming projects that you have going on and what your motivations are with those projects? Sure. Yeah. So with the Herself podcast, we are definitely expanding in a lot of areas and we we've created a Patreon page that is doing pretty well. We thought that it was going to just skyrocket and it hasn't. So just continuing to add more value to the Patreon page is something that we're really proud of. And this is kind of like insider information, but we are working on a course for the Herself podcast. So many of our listeners they, they can listen to all of our podcast episodes. They can go to Google. They can like do the research, find the blog post. But we really want to try to figure out like an A to Z approach of getting to the final solution. So I'm going to keep the topic as a secret still. But knowing that this is coming out, it's going to be coming out very, very soon. And really just making sure that women have all the things at their fingertips to get from A to Z quickly, but also deeply and not skipping any of the steps. Awesome. And Amy Kiefer, your partner, episode 27 of the Competitive Mindset podcast, dropped some nuggets there as well. So if you guys are enjoying this episode, you will definitely enjoy Amy's uh, interview as well, because she provides some some more clarity to you know her life and her journey as well, which is pretty unique and, and I think a, a powerful message that she shares as well. So last thing I want to get you out of here with is a fun hypothetical situation. Use your imagination. If you were to open your refrigerator or a refrigerator and look inside of it, what one item inside of that refrigerator best identifies with you as who you are and what you're able to accomplish as a person? Oh my goodness. This is interesting. Food in my refrigerator. I would have to go with cookie dough. So cookie dough. And the reason I bring this up is it's really all about the journey. And I have like raw cookie dough in my refrigerator at all times because I'm a person who in life and with cookies, <laughs> I don't like the end result. Like I don't like getting to the end because it means I have to start over and I don't enjoy cookies. I enjoy eating the cookie dough so much more than actually putting them in the oven, baking them and seeing that final product. So I would definitely have to say just looking at cookie dough is just a reflection of my life of enjoying the journey, sinking into the journey and knowing that there's still more to come. That is an absolutely phenomenal analogy for that. <laughs> you nailed that question. Abby, thank you so much for your time. Uh, can you let our listeners know if they want to reach out to you for anything where they can find you? Sure. So as far as social media goes, I'm at Abby Rose Green and that's A-B-B-Y Rose and then green like the color. And you can also go to the Herself podcast. That's Herself podcast to find us over there. And I will link that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Abby. Thank you for having me. Next time on Competitive Mindset. 
Most people just want the win and they want it handed to them. They want it easy, they want it given. Competitors are that different breed. They're saying, I may fail, but I'm still going after it because I don't want to ask what if at the end. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.